Well, good morning, River City. It is good to be with you. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Thankful to get to join you guys for worship together this morning. Uh, Man, it's a bit muggy outside, isn't it? Uh, But grateful that we have a shady place to worship and to gather, and so thankful to be with you guys. Uh, Looking forward as well to opening God's Word with you together this morning. Uh, If you are just joining us for the first week, we are in the middle of a series uh, walking through what are known as Jesus's I Am statements, which are found in the Gospel of John. And and what we've seen is that, uh, especially as we began our study in John chapter 8 a number of weeks ago, that, that in each of these I am statements, Jesus is deliberately and emphatically claiming that he is God. And not just any God, that he is the one true God, the great I am, the same God who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush back in Exodus chapter 3, and who commissioned Moses to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. That same God in the person of Jesus has now come to rescue his people from their greater slavery to Satan and sin and death. But as we've seen as we examine the first few of these I am statements, is that Jesus isn't just claiming to be God in each one of these. Instead, what we see is that he is also revealing something specific about the kind of God that he is, about the kind of rescue that he has come to bring his people. And this morning, as we study John chapter 14 and the sixth I am statement, we're going to see Jesus' claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's not only an incredible revelation of who he is and what he's come to do, but it's also an incredible summary of all of the I am statements that have come before it in a lot of ways. And in our kind of pluralistic postmodern age, Jesus' words here, this I am statement, it can often sound and come across as something really divisive. But what I want to show you this morning is that Jesus' words, while they do, uh, while his exclusive words, while they do create controversy, they're actually really intended to bring comfort and peace and assurance in the midst of Uh, in the midst of anxious and worried and uncertain kinds of times. And and so you see, Jesus' words this morning, they're not intended to be fighting words. They're intended to be soul-quieting, soul-comforting words. See, and if we will humbly ask God to show himself to us, to help us see Jesus for who he is, and to believe those truths, then they'll be able to be the comforting, assurance-giving words that they were always meant to be from Jesus. And so, with that in mind, let's pray. We'll dive into our time in the God's Word this morning. Jesus, we come before you this morning grateful that you would enable us to gather as your people to worship you this morning. God, we're thankful that you would keep your word for us so that we might know you as we read it, that we might see you rightly through it. And so, God, we just, we come this morning, we humbly ask that you would keep showing yourself to us. Um, God, and not only just showing yourself to us, but that you would enable us to see you rightly. God, that you enable our hearts to respond rightly to your word. And, And so, God, we just admit that without you doing that work, without you showing yourself to us, without you enabling us to see who you are, God, we can't, we can't know you and we can't see you. And so, God, we ask that you would graciously keep revealing yourself to us. And God, we pray that you do that for our good so that we might know you and love you and live for you, but also, God, for your great glory so that in us as your people seeing you and living for you that you would be worshiped and glorified. And so, God, to that end we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in John chapter 14 this morning, uh, just 11 verses this morning. Jesus, he's speaking to his, his disciples here in the upper room. He says this, 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For my Father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I, would, would I not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that, uh, so, so that you may be with me where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, then you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Our passage this morning is uh, a part of what is known as uh, Jesus's upper room discourse. It's recorded for us in chapter, uh, John chapter 13 through 16. And it's a section of Jesus' teaching that takes place within the 48 hours right before his arrest and crucifixion. And he's gathered his disciples together here with him for a final meal before he goes to the cross. And, and Jesus' words in these chapters, they are meant to prepare his disciples for what's about to happen to him. They're meant to prepare him for, for, uh, for him heading to the cross, but they're also meant to prepare the disciples for what, to prepare them for carrying on minister, the ministry after Jesus is gone. And as we begin chapter 14, Jesus' words here, they begin with a word of comfort because the disciples really needed it. You see, just before, this before in this, chapter 13, Jesus basically just like backs up the truck and dumps it out on the disciples, right? Uh, we see in the course of a few short verses, Jesus tells them that he's about to die, that one of the, these 12 disciples is gonna betray him, that Peter's gonna deny him three times. Uh, basically, it's just, it's all going to crap real quick, right? And so you can imagine how these disciples would have been worried. You can imagine that their hearts might have been troubled. They, you can imagine the anxiety, the uncertainty that would, that would be filling their hearts and minds in that moment, right? And Jesus, he knows they are freaking out. He knows they're freaking out, and so he tells them, he says, don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, you believe in God, and that is right. Believe in me. You can trust me, he says. You can trust me. It's going to be okay, he goes on to tell them he's actually leaving for their benefit. It's actually good for them if he'll leave. He says, verse two and three, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And he says, if I told you I was going to prepare a place for you, then you know I'm coming back to get you. You know I'm going to come back. You know I'm going to bring you there to be with me. So chill out. It's going to be okay. I'm not dropping the mic, walking off into the sunset. <laughs> Later in the chapter, we see Jesus promises to give his spirit that, to help his disciples, to be with them always. Besides, Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. You gotta love, you gotta love the disciples. I really appreciate them because like I would be, I would be them, right? 
You see, the disciples are still confused. They don't get it. And in verse five, Thomas, he just asks, he just says out loud the question that everybody else is definitely thinking, right? He says, uh, yeah, where was it again that you were going? I'm not, I, I don't, we don't know. We don't know where you're going. Also, we don't know how to get there. We're totally lost. We have no idea what's going on there, right? And Jesus, he responds to Thomas. You just, you gotta just imagine Jesus' graciousness in this moment, right? He's been with them for three years. It's not like it's the first conversation he's had with them about what's going on. But you can imagine the, the graciousness and the, the humility in Jesus' words here. He says, he says to Thomas, Thomas, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, and in Jesus' response, it not only clarifies for the disciples where he's going, but, but it contains three reassuring realities about who he is and what he has come to do. And the first is simply this, that he is the way to the Father, that he is the one way to relationship with God. What an incredibly bold statement. See, the, the founder of every other religion says, I know the way to the truth. I, I, I know the way to God. I know the way to heaven. I know the way to enlightenment. I can tell you about it. I can point you the direction to it. But Jesus, he doesn't just say that he knows about the way. He doesn't say he can tell you where it is or what it's like. He says, I am the way. He himself is the way. You see, Christianity at its heart, this is so important. Christianity at its heart is not an ideology. It is not a way of living. You see, Christianity at its root is about a personal relationship with God. And the only way into that kind of a relationship is through Jesus you see, and that reveals to us, it points out that there are, the passage highlights for us that there are two senses, at least two ways in which Jesus is the way. You see, when Jesus told his disciples, um, the first way is that he is, the, he is the way because he is the way that opens a way for us to be with God. He is the way because he opens the way for us to be with God. You see, when Jesus, when he told the disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them, he wasn't saying that heaven wasn't ready. He wasn't saying that heaven wasn't ready. He wasn't saying that it was in disrepair, that it needed some tidying up. He wasn't saying that it needed some like Gaines family fixer up or magic to kind of like just tweak it to really get it ready for everybody, right? The hospitality, dial that up a minute, right? No, that's not what he's saying. He, he's not saying that, see, what wasn't ready yet wasn't the destination. What wasn't ready was the way to get there in the first place. See, the destination was ready. The way to get there in the first place wasn't. You see, where Jesus is going next isn't first to heaven. It's actually first to the cross. One pastor says it this way. He says, preparing a place doesn't mean construction in heaven, but crucifixion on earth. You see, the disciples, they didn't want to hear that Jesus was going. They wanted, they wanted to believe so badly that Jesus was just like, just kidding, it was a joke. I'm not going anywhere. Everything's going to be fine, right? I would never leave you. You see, but the reality was that Jesus was going. He was leaving them. But more importantly, he had to. You see, because unless he went, there was no way for his disciples to be with him in the Father's house. There was no way for his disciples to have an eternal right relationship with God. Just a few verses earlier in chapter 13, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, where he was going, they could not come. He clarifies that later, just a few verses, he says, where I am going, you can't follow now. 
but you will follow later. You see, what Jesus is getting at is the reality is that the way to relationship with God it had not been made yet. You see, sin, sin separates us from God and all people from God, and it rightly puts us under God's wrath and judgment. Ephesians 2 tells us that without Christ, we are dead in our sins and that we are by nature deserving of wrath. But what happens on the cross is that Jesus, he takes our place for us. He trades places with us. And instead of us absorbing God's wrath and God's punishment for our rebellious sin, Jesus absorbs all of God's just wrath for our sin. He received the penalty for our mutinous rebellion against God, for the fact that all of us have said, God, you are no longer in charge. I will rule this life and I will rule this world. I will functionally be God. And Jesus, he took on that penalty so that we might be forgiven and cleansed and made pure, so that we might be given his right standing with the, with the Father. Martin Luther, he famously referred to this reality as the great exchange you see, without Jesus' perfectly lived life, without his sacrificial death given in our place, there would be no way for us to have a right relationship with God. We would still be his enemies. And so in other words, Jesus is saying that he is the way because he is the way maker. He's the one who makes a way for us to be with God. And in going to prepare a place, Jesus wasn't making the destination ready. He was making the way to the destination ready. But Jesus is also the way in the sense that he is not just the one who makes the way for us to be with God, but he is the one who brings us to be with God in the end himself. You see, Jesus, is his, he doesn't just promise that he's preparing a place for the disciples. He says, I will come back and get you so that you can be with me where I am. You see, you see, in other words, Jesus is saying that he's not just, he doesn't just make a way for us to know God and to be with him. Jesus is the one who unites us with God himself. He's the one who brings us to be with him. You see, Jesus carries us all the way. You see, faith in Jesus, the Christian faith is not your faith plus your really great devotion. It's not your place for, your faith plus your incredibly good effort or your intelligence or your, uh, the fact that you just want it enough. No, it's Jesus the whole way. It's his faithfulness that brings us home to be with God. You see, he's not part of the way. He is the whole way. And that is incredibly freeing. That is incredibly life-giving because what it means is that it's not on you. You see, you didn't, you didn't figure out your way into the kingdom. You didn't figure out your way into right relationship with God. You didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. You're not keeping up that relationship. Jesus is the one who has done it for you. And that frees you. That gives you life because you get to rest in him instead of yourself. He never changes. You change every minute. He's always faithful and always good. And so you can hope in him and trust in him. You see, but Jesus doesn't only claim to be the way. You see, he also claims that he is the truth. You see, it's important to clarify here that in claiming to be the truth, Jesus isn't just saying that his words are true, although that is absolutely true, they are. But instead, what he is saying that he is the personification of truth itself. 
over and over and over again, the Bible declares that the word of God is truth. And in John 1, 4, we read that in the person of Jesus, the very word of God is made flesh. It comes and dwells among us. Verse 15 goes on to say that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and full of truth. You see, Jesus is the incarnate word of God. He is the personification of truth itself. He not only shows us the truth about God, he is the truth about God. See, it's a claim that's intrinsically linked with the first. See, Jesus is the way because he is the perfect revelation of who God is and what he is like. He is the perfect revelation of God himself. This is really important as well. You see, this is also why Jesus can never be just a good moral teacher. He can never be just a good example. You see, if if he is just an example, if he's just a teacher, his teaching, his example, it crushes you. Because it just becomes a standard that you endlessly will never live up to. You don't meet the standard. You don't get close. You are not even on the scales. You see, it becomes something that just crushes us because we never live up to it. Oh, but he, if, if he's not just an example, but if he is the revelation of God himself, then it leaves room for the gospel to be good news. You see, the gospel, it shows us our own insufficiency so that we might see the good news of the sufficiency of Jesus on our behalf. If he's your example, if he's, if he's just the teacher, his example crushes you. But if he is God himself, then, then his words, his life is good news to you because it shows your insufficiency and yet his radical sufficiency in your place. So Jesus, he's the way, he is the truth. Lastly, he says here that he is the life. John 17, Jesus says, now this is eternal life that you would know me, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, Jesus isn't saying that that just that the point of life is to know God. He says the very definition of what it means to live is to know God. It's what we're built for. It's what we're designed for. It's at the root of everything we are at. Knowing him is at the root of what it means to truly live. Jeremiah chapter 9, it echoes this reality when in it God tells, God says, he says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom. Let not the strong boast in their strength or the rich boast in their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have an understanding to know me. You see God's saying in Jeremiah, he's saying that the, the satisfaction, the fulfillment, the the accolades, the, what all it is that comes from being the smartest, strongest, richest person in all the world, that it is nothing compared to the satisfaction and the fulfillment that comes from knowing him. You see, to know him is to have life. It's at the very root of what it means to have life. See, Jesus is not a version of living. Jesus is life itself. And knowing him is the only way to have true life both now and forever. See, Jesus' words here, he doesn't mince words. There is a radical exclusivity to Jesus' words. There's a radical exclusivity to them. He is not a way to God. He is the way to God. He is not a version of truth. He is the ultimate personification of truth itself. He is not a type of living. He is the one true only source of life itself. And here's the point. The point is that if you know him, then you are known and know God. If you know him, then you know God and are known by him.
You don't need to look anywhere else. You don't need to supplement Jesus with anything else. He's enough. He is all that you need. He's the one way you need. He is the one truth you need. He is the one life you need. Knowing him is enough. See, Jesus' words to these disciples, they were meant to encourage them. They were meant to give them assurance. He says, you know me. That's enough. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I am all you need. See, the question, the question is this. Do we know him? Do we know him? It's the question Jesus asked Philip in verse 9. See, he says to Philip, don't you know me, Philip, even after all this time we've been together, even after such a long time, he says, Jesus' rhetorical question highlights the reality that there is a very real and important distinction between knowing about God and actually knowing him. You see, even after Jesus' claim over and over that he was God, even after all of his miracles, even after all of his teaching, you see, Philip, he still asked Jesus, would you show us the Father and that'll be enough? What he's saying is that, Jesus, you aren't enough for me. I need you to show me the Father. That will, that's what will be enough. See, in Jesus' request, or Philip's, Philip's request, it reveals that after all the time he has been around Jesus, after all that he has heard from Jesus, after all the ministry that he has done with Jesus, that he still doesn't know him. That he still doesn't know him. He might know about him, but he does not really know him. You see, but Jesus' words towards Philip, they're not meant to condemn him. They're meant to show him the way. They're meant to give him hope, give him life. You see, verse 11, Jesus shows us that the way to go from knowing about God to knowing him personally, the way you do it is through faith. He says to Philip, believe me. Believe me. When I say that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. When I tell you that I am God, believe me. You see, a personal relationship with God, it starts with faith. It starts with accepting Jesus for who he has said and proved that he is and trusting him. It doesn't begin with deciding who you want him to be or reasoning your way into what you think he is. It begins by accepting him for who he has claimed himself to be. And he said that he's God. You see, in faith, it's not just intellectually agreeing or acknowledging that Jesus has said that he is God. That It's not just agreeing or acknowledging that Jesus says he's the way, the truth, the life. It is trusting him to be that for you. You see, no one else can trust him to be the way, the truth, and the life for you. Your church can't do it for you. Your family can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your community cannot do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. You see, one of the ways you can tell if you really know Jesus, one of the ways you can tell if you really know him is when his words go from being good information to good news. When his words go from being good information to good news. You see, if when you hear Jesus' words, they don't just make you think, but they move your heart. You see, you sense a growing love for him and a desire to know him more and to be with him. You see, that is one of the ways you know in which you know him. You see, if Jesus is just a head-level thing, if it's just about information to you, if it's just about saying the right things or knowing the right things or doing the right things, then that reveals you don't know him yet. Oh, but if his words, they become not just good information, but good news. 
good news that, that invades your heart. That's one of the ways that you know that you really know him. You see, some of you are here this morning and you are like Philip. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life. Maybe you've been around Jesus your whole life. Maybe, maybe you've been in church. Maybe you've been doing ministry for lots of years, but you don't really know him yet. And the sobering reality is that proximity to Jesus does not equal relationship with him. Proximity to Jesus and his word, it's not the same thing as relationship with him. You see, you need God to open your eyes so that you might see him and be able to respond in faith to him. See, Jesus' words here, they're full, of, they're words not full of rebuke, they are words full of compassion because the good news is that he wants to show himself to you. He wants you to know him. The whole reason he came is so that he might reveal God to us. And so he's not trying to hide himself from you. He's not trying to get you to prove yourself to him. He came so that you might know him. And so ask him that he might reveal himself to you. If you find yourself in the spot that Philip found him in, ask Jesus to show himself to you. He wants to. He wants you to go from an informational to a personal saving knowledge of him. See, but this is really important as well this morning. You see, Jesus is not just the way, the truth, and the life for those who don't know him yet. He is the way, the truth, and the life for each of us every day. You see, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, not just the first day that we believe, but on every day. And he is the one who brings us home to be with him. In Galatians chapter 2.20, the Apostle Paul, he's writing, he says, this life I now live in the flesh, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the believers in Galatia, they had started with belief in Jesus but they had moved on to some other way, some other truth that would get them home to God. And Paul says, there is no other way. See, Jesus isn't the way. He's not the truth. He's not the life just on the first day. He must be the way, the truth, and the life each and every day for us. You see, the reality is that all too often, we try to calm our own troubled hearts or we try to help others calm their own troubled hearts by giving them something other than him as the solution we're worried about finances. We're worried about money. We're worried about all that kind of stuff. And, and so we give people the, the best budgeting advice that we know. Or people are, they're worried about their relationships and the, and the, and the, and the hardships that are in that. And, and so we teach people communication techniques. And we say, here's how you fix this relationship. And here's how you learn to talk about it. And here's what happens with it. And people are struggling with dad. And we just say, don't worry about it. Everything's just going to work out. It will all be fine. See, we give people something other than Jesus instead of him. Jeff Vanderstelt in his book, Gospel Fluence, he writes this. He says, applying wisdom for financial planning and relationship building and every other area of life is important and necessary. However, if we fail to give one another Jesus, then we lead one another away from him. We could have our finances in order while our hearts are completely out of order because we are doing it all for the wrong reasons. We might be great at communication and conflict resolution, but if we are not reconciled with God, then our relationships will be shallow and temporary in nature. What he's saying is that Jesus must be the way, the truth, and the life every day for us. He's the answer to the problem, not just of our relationship with God, but in the midst of all of the turmoil of life. 
And the invitation for us is that we might trust him to be the way, the truth, and the life the first day and also every day after that. He's the answer. He is the center. He is at the root of what we must keep coming back to. You see, Jesus offers himself not as a means to an end, but as the end itself. You see, and to know him is to know God and to be made right with him. See, that's what we're remembering is what we're celebrating when we take communion. Reminding ourselves that Jesus is the way that we know and are known by God. That it's his blood that's shed in our place that makes the way for us to be known by God and to be with him. Communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't save you. It doesn't change your standing with him. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to remember to remember Jesus, to remember who he is and all that he has done, to remember him, the way, the truth, and the life, so that in remembering him, we might rest our hope and our lives on him every day. And so this morning, as we sing and as we worship and as we remember Jesus and the gospel together in song, if you've put your trust in him to be the way, the truth, and the life, then whenever you're ready, go back and take communion. There's a communion. Hopefully you got it on the way in. If not, there's some at the table in the back that you can grab. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to belong to Jesus, having trusted him. But if not this morning, if you're here this morning and you're just figuring out who Jesus is to you, or you're like Philip and you've realized that, that you might know about him, but you don't know him yet, that I would encourage you this morning, hold off on taking communion. Instead, come to Jesus. Trust in him. He is what you need. He's not a means to an end. He is the end itself. He is what your heart is longing for. He is what you need. So trust him. Come to him as the way, the truth, and the life for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We are thankful for your word and that in it you might remind us and show us and reveal to us that you, God, are the way, the truth, and the life. God, thank you that you not only say those things, but you prove them to us. And that you show yourself to us so that we might know you as the way, the truth, and the life. And so, God, I'll come this morning humbly. God, we ask that you might show yourself to us. Help us to believe that that is true about you. God, for some of us for the first time this morning. God, for others. God, for us, help us every day to keep trusting and living for you as the way, the truth, and the life. God, for our good, for your great glory, we pray. Amen.